Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I am going to explore the fascinating tale of the founding of the village of Augusta in Kalamazoo County. So come along and join me. Now I've had a few people over the last year and a half, particularly on my YouTube channel, asked me to start sharing and researching some history of the village of Augusta because it's really close to Battle Creek and there is some overlap. And I had not had time until recently to do that. And I was working on the podcast that aired just before this one on the soldiers of the American Revolution in Southwest Michigan, and I inadvertently stumbled upon a missing piece of the puzzle for me to understand some of the early history of Augusta. I had pieces of it in some of my earlier podcasts and videos, but I never really fully understood the complete story, and it was the missing piece of understanding the third player that was involved in the founding of the village of Augusta. So I'm going to go into that in detail here in this episode and try to walk you through this very fascinating tale of this village that is in proximity to not only Kalamazoo, but also Battle Creek. And there's a lot of overlap between the two in terms of the people involved in its founding. So the first settler in the area known today as Augusta was Dr. Salmon King, a native of Vermont. And he was born in Bennington County in 1784. He came from a patriotic stock, and his father had served in the Revolutionary War. At the age of 15, finding the rigid discipline at home with his parents very irksome, he left and found his way to the house of his uncle in New Haven, Connecticut, where he secured a position as a clerk, though his uncle had not recognized who he was. The boy's father apprised his brother of the flight of his son, and made inquiries concerning his whereabouts. Solomon finally disclosed his identity to his uncle, but continued working for him, and at the close of a year of service, departed for fresh fields of adventure. He was next found in Columbia County, New York, pursuing the study of medicine. Having finished his course of study, he became involved with the War of 1812 and he entered service as an army surgeon. He then moved to Genesee County, New York, following his service in the war. And it was here that he was married and he would raise a family of four children, three sons and a daughter. From there, he migrated to the wilds of Canada. And in 1833... He became determined to make a home in Michigan, and he settled in the area which would eventually become the village of Augusta, and he built a log cabin. This house became an abode of hospitality under Dr. King, which was afterwards remodeled and turned into a tavern. In 1836, three men arrived in the area where his land was, Sands McCamley, Ezra Convis, and Ephraphroditus ransom and they were pursuing industrial interests they purchased acreage from dr salmon king sans mccamley was the man who had already begun to establish the milling industry in the village of milton 
which would become Battle Creek. Ezra Convis was also an investor with McCamley in Battle Creek, and he would eventually go on to also buy the land and found the village of Verona, and he would later serve as the first Speaker of the House in Michigan. Epaphro Ransom, as he was known, and I know I'm probably butchering his name, but he was the son of a Revolutionary War veteran, and I covered his father's story in my previous episode on this channel. And he would eventually go on to become the eighth governor of Michigan, which is quite something to see these three powerful gentlemen. Sands McCamley also served in the state legislature representing the area around Battle Creek. So all three of them were involved to some degree in state politics. Ezra Convis died prematurely while he was in office as Speaker of the House, and he died in a, in a sleigh accident over in the Detroit area. And that's a whole different story, and I, and I covered that story in another podcast episode on the founding of the village of Verona. And there's also a video on that on my YouTube channel. So the agreement that they made was structured so that Ezra Convis had one half of the portion of 615 acres. And Sands McCamley, Epaphro Ransom had one quarter each of the total purchase price of 12000 And together they formed what was to become known as the Augusta Company. Now, Moses Hall Jr. and Tolman Hall would later become members of the Augusta Company. And they also came from Battle Creek. And their father, Moses Hall Sr., was also a Revolutionary War veteran. So we have three sons of Revolutionary War veterans involved in this entire founding of the village of Augusta. We have Dr. King, we have Mr. Ransom, and we have Moses and Tolman Hall. And these three men signed an agreement to purchase the land, and one of the witnesses who also signed the agreement was Moses Hall. So the Augusta Company was established for the manufacturing purposes and the probable growth of a village on the site. They platted the village with the help of a surveyor named Moore. George Rigby, who was living in the area as a resident, was appointed to represent the interests of the company these men formed. And it was accorded to him the privilege of naming the village, which he did so in honor of his former home, the capital of Maine. So he called the village Augusta. After platting the village, the company directed their energies to the formation of a sawmill in anticipation of the demand of what might arise from this place. The preliminary steps in the enterprise involved the excavation of a mill race, and this contract was awarded to George Rigby. After they finished building the sawmill, they turned their attention to the sale of lots in the projected village. Most of the sales of these lots was made through their agent, George Rigby. In 1842, Dr. King, who remained in the area, would eventually build the first framed hotel and he presided as landlord, and later his son also served in this role, for weary travelers. Dr. King, as expected, was the first physician in Augusta, and in his professional capacity, he was greatly beloved. He was the first physician also in this entire portion of Kalamazoo County during that time, and was remonstrated over the years for his generosity and kindness. 
during times of sickness, his services were in great demand. It was said that there was not a settler's cabin in the region during the first two decades of his history in this area, that he had not been inside at some point, administering to someone. His visits were no less social than professional. He was welcomed as a family friend. Dr. King died in 1855 and was sincerely mourned by his family and friends within the region. His son, Harry A. King, established the first store in Augusta in 1835 and became well-respected as a pioneer merchant in the town. He would later move to Independence, Iowa and succeed there as a merchant as well. A man named Wood would acquire the log cabin and tavern built by Dr. King and it became familiarly known as the Castle and a man named George Townsend would become the landlord. A man named Milo Foote was also one of the proprietors. Samuel Wilkinson made his residence in the village of Augusta in 1836, and he became the first blacksmith in the place. And during that time, blacksmiths were a very important business in the community because they not only kept the horses in good shape, they were the source of all kinds of ironwork and nails and everything else for building structures. So they were a very important part of a growing community. And Samuel Wilkinson was a prominent character in the community during the early days. After the Augusta Company platted the village, his name appears as the purchaser of several of the more desirable lots in the community. Another man named Gilbert Higgins arrived in Augusta in 1836 and he became actively involved in the sawmill. When he arrived, the company reached out to him to construct the mill, and he accepted the task. In the same year he built the mill, he also built his own framed house in the village. The residents of the hamlet were not called upon to establish a plot of land for a burial ground until 1837, when a Mr. Anderson died. He was the first interred at what would become known as Augusta Cemetery, which was officially organized as a cemetery about a decade later. The coffin for Mr. Anderson was made by Casey McKay and Gilbert Higgins, and it was the first one used in this place. Casey McKay had arrived in 1837 from Allegheny, New York, and he was the first carpenter who had appeared on the scene, and he was immediately employed in the construction of the sawmill, and he speedily found his skills in demand in the village, constructing the homes of several of the early settlers. Augusta during that time was somewhat cut off from the main route of travel of daily stagecoaches, and the nearest post that would pass was close to a man named Ambrose Cox Farm, which was about two miles away. So they would have to ride two miles to get any kind of deliveries or mail service into the small growing community. A man named John Beach would eventually run an express from Detroit to Kalamazoo and stop in the village to receive orders. He transported all of the wares ordered from these places to the inhabitants, and one of the surviving residents from that time frankly acknowledged that the orders for whiskey exceeded all other orders. The journey from one point to the other occupied a period of 10 days. So 
Traveling from Detroit to Augusta was a 10-day journey, and the bulk of the orders that this man ended up delivering was, was cases of whiskey, which is kind of funny, and it's also telling of the time. And you consider the winters in Michigan and um, the different seasons, you know, and the hardships of uh, labor that these people did, a lot of times whiskey was like the medicinal use for relaxing at the end of a long day as well. It wasn't strictly uh, for pubs and that sort of thing that were in the area. You know, this may have been the only medicinal resource that they had when they were sore and tired and that sort of thing. So it's just an interesting indicator of the times. In the early days of the village, a man named Peter Fisher Wombo became one of the residents. His pretentious bearing and air of superiority rendered him an extremely unpopular individual among the townspeople, who on frequent occasions, they made him the victim of practical jokes. In one instance, after rendering himself particularly offensive, he was seized by the boys in the village and thrust into a pit that had been excavated to mend a break in the mill race. Over this, they placed a board held firmly in place by a heavy log. Within the narrow compass, they confined him for the night, while his captors sang improvised rhymes over their victim. It was said that this summary discipline was most salutary in its effect on Mr. Peter Fisher Wombo. Aza Marvin, another craftsman, arrived in the village in 1838 and made his home, following his trade as a carpenter and a joiner. A pair of cobblers also arrived that same year, William Griswold and Horace Cross, and established a thriving business. Horace Handley arrived a few years later and established himself as a wagon maker and made the first wagon in Augusta. He would later move to Minnesota and die in the army. Isaac Hill came to the village as one of the early millers when a grist mill was added to the old sawmill. He ground the first flour in the village, and its quality was highly extolled by the patrons of the mill in his time. Which reminds me, if you've ever had a really fresh loaf of bread from a bakery and they hand kneaded the dough and they baked it just fine and it is so superior to the run-of-the-mill breads that you might find in the general grocery store aisle and at that point you really appreciate the quality of good flour, don't you? Back to the story. In 1838, the residents of Augusta determined with the advancing enterprises that they should establish an education institution and they built the first log schoolhouse. In addition to Dr. King, another physician arrived, Dr. Martin Mason, and he was from New York. And in 1846, he had located to Augusta. Eventually, nearly all of the branches of trades were represented in the village, and the business street at the time presented a scene of activity worthy of a place of larger dimensions. In 1849, the first church was organized as the Congregational Church of Augusta, and that was in July of that year. In the years that followed, the Baptists and the Methodists established churches there as well. The Augusta Mills would continue to be the lifeblood of the village as the heart of the manufacturing industry. The water-powered grist mill would eventually grow to a capacity 
of 150 barrels of flour a day. It would eventually be replaced with steam mills as time went on. Another leading enterprise in the early days was a poultry business established in 1869, and this would grow to employ a lot of people in the village. With its water-powered Kalamazoo River, the Michigan Central Railroad furnished a market for its produce, emerging from the growth, and set the village on the road to prosperity. In 1869, the village of Augusta was officially incorporated as a village in the state legislature. That same year, the first charter election of the village of Augusta was held in the old schoolhouse on April 13, 1869. And John Cock was elected president, which he would serve for six years, alongside Alanson, Webster as clerk, and several other trustees from the residents of the village, as well as a treasurer, an assessor, street commissioners, a marshal, and a fire warden. And that, ladies and gentlemen, completes my tour of the early days of Augusta. Remnants of the railroad is still there as the railroad lines still go through the city of Augusta. And there's still a lot of old homes. I wonder how many actually date back to the period of the early founding of the village. But I would imagine there's still a few standing. And there's a nice park in downtown. And there's a few historic markers. And of course, the old cemetery, which contains a lot of history. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at the early founding of the village of Augusta. If you like today's episode, be sure to share it with others that you know and tell other people about the podcast so I can pick up a few more listeners. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com and you can send me a message through that website. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners and I really enjoy when you tell me a little tidbit of history. I usually try to make notes of all that sort of thing and plan out my future podcasts, which is incidentally how this podcast came into being about the village of Augusta because it was from a, a listener or a follower of my YouTube channel and later my podcast that would message me now and then and say, hey, whenever you get around to Augusta, please check it out. And so I started doing a little research on it and I kind of stumbled into some of the missing pieces that I needed, which connected the life of Ransom, who was from Kalamazoo, and McCamley and Ezra Condis. So until next time, when we take another journey into history and we explore yet another fascinating tale of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.